host for Authors on the Air. And uh, we're going to be kind of shifting gears and, and, and changing hosts here in the, in the next couple of interviews. But welcome, Alexia. And tell us, uh, are you a writer? Are you a reader? And how did you, how did Pam find you? How did you become a guest host for Authors on the Air? Uh, thank you, Penny. Uh, as you mentioned, my name is Alexia Gordon, and I am the host of the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. It's one of the podcasts that is on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Um, I actually ran into Pam at, I forget which conference it was at, but it was a few years ago before the world shut down. Um, and she said, hey, you want to host a podcast that focuses on cozy mysteries? And I said, no. Um, but then I thought about it and said, well, I'll give it a try. I'll probably do it for two or three episodes. And three years later, I'm, I'm still doing it. Um, I am a published author. I wrote the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries. There are five books in the series. And my good news is that it is going to be a Hallmark movie. The first book was adapted into a Hallmark movie that's Yay! airing September 22nd on the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel. Um, I also have a couple of published short stories. Well, congratulations on that. I think, you know, it's the the biggest dream slash fear of the authors that their book will be optioned and then actually taken over by Hollywood and made into a movie or a made-for-TV movie. And then once it happens, it's like, oh my, I mean, I listened to a whole panel yesterday about what happens after you sign on the dotted line and whether you just uh, kiss your baby goodbye, take the check and run, or you stay involved and, and the pros and cons of doing each. So congratulations Thank on you. that and how exciting. So do you have a book currently out, a new one coming out soon? Um, I am working on a standalone, so I'm, it's working on it being the key phrase. Okay, it's working on a standalone. Well, boy, we, I, I, Pam has a talent for finding talent. We will say that for her. Okay, so I'm going to turn over to Libby Fisher Hellman. All right, so you do two series and historical fictions, uh, but I. This is not your first BCon. You were telling us a little bit about what happened at your first BotcherCon because I said I was an aspiring author who was in awe of everybody who had finally got to the the end and then got it published. Tell us about your first BotcherCon. Well, it was, uh, gosh, I think it was 2002 or something like that, or 2001. It was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was not published at the time. And I was the same as you. I was writing, but I wasn't I, I was in awe of all of the authors there. I was like, oh my God, if I could ever just get a book published. And I went to the Anthony uh, Awards and uh, the winner of the um, best first novel was a fellow named William Kent Kruger, who I think everybody who's listening knows who he is. And I'm at the back of the room and I'm thinking, I'll never get to know someone like him. And now 20, 23 years later, he's one of my closest friends. So go figure. <laughs> That's something to look forward to. So tell us a little bit about your two series. Well, they are female driven. Um, they are both contemporary. My first series features a um, freelance video producer who is a single mother and has a, when the series starts, a 12 year old daughter. Uh, she lives on the North Shore of Chicago, and she just has a penchant for getting into trouble and finding these situations that where murders have occurred. And um, she, I, at the time, was um, 
of freelance video producer. I lived on the North Shore. I had a daughter. I also had a son, but he's not in the book. Um, oh, Elliot's divorced, which is interesting because I was not divorced at the time. And um, by the fourth book, I had gotten divorced. And so all my friends were saying, you were trying it out on paper first. <laughs> so that's my first series. Um, I introduced a character in that series, of a female cop who was a lot um, grittier than, than Ellie. And as soon as she came on the page, I knew that Georgia Davis one day was going to have her own series. And she did. I just had to wait for the right story. And that story was the first book in the series called Easy Innocence. And it is a grittier, harder, seri hard, harder edged series. Um, she is a PI. She used to be a cop. She, it, the, the story of how she became a PI is in one of the books. So I'm not going to spoil it for you now. But um, she is trying to get her life back and move into a new direction. And over the course of six books, she has. So there's six books in each series as of now. And uh, that's my series. Great. Those are my two series. And now you also do historical fiction. Yeah. yeah, I was a history major in college and I loved knowing and researching and looking and, and, and observing how mankind, and I mean womankind too, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. We may change one little fact, which gives us the illusion that it's not quite the same, but it is. Mm -hmm. And and that's always struck me about history. And um, I always wanted to write recent history, not not going back too far. The farthest I go, I go back is World War II. So um, I now have five standalone historicals, which I, for, for convenience sake, I have loosely grouped together as the revolution sagas. Um, and I'm working on the sixth. The sixth will be out sometime next year, probably in the first quarter. So both of you are writers, not just writers, but published writers. I think it has always been true that there are people out there, readers, and just people who aren't readers, who have trouble separating reality from fiction. Okay, And so you have to be really careful when you write because they start associating you with the character. And and uh, this morning a woman was talking about someone who's horribly, a reader who's very angry at her because she allowed her character, her pregnant character to have one glass of wine uh, in nine months of pregnancy and, and is very upset with her about this. Okay, um, I think since the pandemic, um, I don't know if it's more or if we just hear about it more because there's more social media and more ways of finding out about it. But I think we are living in a time when writing is an act of courage uh, because I believe there are people who wake up every day and their sole purpose is to find something to be offended by. And they're not happy in that day until they do. Um, and so a lot of these people are reading and a lot of these people are reviewing and a lot of these people are speaking and reaching out bravely behind their screen to authors and, and, and uh, writers. Um, have you found this to be true? Please tell me if you haven't, because I would love to know that you're living in a different world than I am. And two, is it affecting how you as a writer write? knowing that there's people out there just waiting for you to say the wrong thing. Do you want to take that? Um, you know, you've asked a lot of very basic, you've made a lot of observations about human nature. And it's hard for me to answer this question 
without referring to what is human nature? Do you see the glass half full or the glass half empty? I will say that I am currently writing a book, a historical book about the Ritchie boys who are, you know who they are, Some you're nodding your heads. They were a group of German Jewish young men who made it to the US uh, before World War II started and were then um, drafted or enlisted in the US Army because they wanted to destroy the Nazis, okay? I am, to do that, I have to, I had to do very overwhelming research, even though my father-in-law was a Ritchie boy, my late father-in-law was a Ritchie boy, but um, I had to be very careful the way I wrote about the years between 1932 and 1938, which is when Hitler, um, promulgated all his edicts against the Jews, because as you know, anti-Semitism as well as racism has resurfaced and, you know, we are once again outsiders. Uh, so yeah, I am, I was very careful and I am very careful about how I treated those series of events. I mean, they were shameful, they were horrible, they were xenophobic, they were everything that, you know, every adjective we could come up with. But it goes back to the nature of human nature. There are some people who are going to find hate in everything. There are other people who have compassion, who have empathy, who understand that sometimes we have to write about the hate before we can get to the love. So I hope that answers it. Yes, it does. Thank you. That's good. Are you finding it affecting your writing? No, actually. And I'm probably in a different situation because my characters are completely fictional. Even the town they're in is made up. So since it's made up, I made it up, I get to set the rules. It's part of why I chose to make it up versus when you base something on um, actual people and actual events, you have at least, I believe, an obligation to, um, you know, honor that, you know, their actual experience and not just, you know, fantasize about what these these real people did. Um, but I, I tell myself that I can't please everybody. Um, like you said, there's always somebody who's just gonna be having a bad day and decide to take it out on you. Uh, you're, I remind myself that you're not obligated to answer hate mail. <laughs> um, and I just uh, try and uh, you know, gravitate towards the people who are supportive and who uh, will lift you up, even if they don't love what you wrote they appreciate you as a human being and they try and make you feel good as a human being. Um, I remind myself that um, it's like it is fiction. I mean, I, I try not to get too overly attached to my work. Um, I work for the government, so that probably helps because in the government, what you write belongs to the government, it doesn't belong to you. So that, that mind, I try and take that mindset some into my books, my fiction books as well, because that way it's, if somebody hates it, I don't take it personally. It's like, okay, they hate the book. They don't even know me. Um, so I'm, Try not to take it as they hate me, um, but if you spend if you spend all your time worrying about this person's going to take offense and this person's not, and that's it, you'll never get anything written because you'll be trying to get into somebody's head and figure out what's going to set them off on an, any given day, and that's that's a no win game. So you just have to write the best book that you can write. Um, you know, do your research, especially if you're writing about real people and real events. Um, you do have to be a little more careful then, um, but you know, you just do the best you can do put it out there, somebody out there is your audience. And maybe that other person who's writing you the nasty grams is just not your audience. I have a friend who says, um, even if you take the time to write me a negative comment, you have taken 
your time to communicate with me and share your views with me. Whether I agree with them or not is a separate issue. And she says, I always say in my mind, I say, thank you for sharing. Moving on, you know. <laughs> and 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 I think you're, that's a very healthy way of looking at it. I, I'm I'm really interested that we have such different approaches to to her question to. But that's the fun thing about doing these yeah. interviews and being at Bajacom around my peeps, around this tribe, because yeah. we're there's so much energy and so much knowledge and so much awareness and 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 there's something for everyone, you know, uh, for the person that just wants a book to escape, to the person that wants to be inspired, to the person that wants to be motivated to do the next thing. There's something for yeah. every person that's here. I think my favorite her is when someone comes up to me and says, I didn't know that. Did that really happen? And because I try to do very meticulous research, I can say, yeah, it really happened. Your book about the Ritchie boys is historical fiction. Correct. But, okay. Yes, yes. And, but it is fiction. So at some point, I am going to depart from, you know, what I know to be true. Actually, it's very plausible. I, I've just come to the, you know, I know what it is, but it is a little different. Some of the Ritchie boys, you know, their their mission was to interrogate German POWs after battles that the U.S. did well in. Um, but there is some uh, some evidence that some of them went over and were taken by the OSS, which is was the case with my late father-in-law. So I'm going to have my Ritchie boy be taken over by the OSS because they were more aggressive in doing counterintelligence and missions and things like that to really, you know, uh, against the Germans than the Ritchie boys. So, Did you have a chance to interview one of the few remaining? No, but I have talked to the head of the Ritchie boy museum mm. And there is a fabulous book written by a woman who's, I forget her first name, but it's Eddie, Dr. Eddie. It's called The Secrets of the Ritchie Boys. And I'm, I have a note to call her next week to ask how that process went from the Ritchie Boys going to the OSS and how many of them actually did. So, you know, it gives me chills, you know, to make history come alive. And, and that's what the best books do. They make that moment come alive for the reader, at least for that time. Well, thank you both so much for taking a few minutes to, to talk with us on Authors on the Air today, day four of Botchercom. Alexia, have a good time doing your interviews here. Thank uh, you. We're happy to turn it over to you now. And uh, the rest of you have a good day here at Botchercom or wherever you are, whatever you're doing now that you're listening to this podcast. Have a great day. Thanks so much for joining Craig Manson, Penny Manson, Authors on the Air.